Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Covenant benefit number seven, and the way this came about for brief introduction, if you haven't been with us before, is um, we've been looking at from Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, you know, that we, we have a place in us in which, and benefits being those blessings that God's given us, and um, when it, when that occurs, we become grateful. It always moves us. When you start looking at what God has afforded you in being the God of your life, when you start doing that, you become grateful. You know what you'll do when you're grateful? You'll worship. It is the very basis. It is the very foundation for worship. The minute you begin to see, because we can't, we don't always, matter of fact, very few if any, in in seeing, you know, we see with our natural eyes, but we actually don't see the Lord. You know, we don't, you know, we sing songs, we say, I see the Lord high and lifted up. And I'm going, huh, well, I don't know about you. I, I know that I've heard God, but I don't always see God. But when I begin to do this, when I see the benefits that God's done, it produces something in my heart that we call gratefulness. I become deeply thankful for who he is and what he's been to me. And that always leads me into worship. So I had a challenge from the Lord that in under the new covenant that I could still, you know, we've been on a transitional journey for about four years. And he said, it's easier for you to recite the Ten Commandments than it is to list out ten blessings that you've received, 10 benefits you've received in the new covenant. And I went, huh. And so I went home and started writing them down. Then when I started writing them down, I started studying. Then when I started studying them, I went, all of us need to have this. We all need to look at this. So you get to join in my study, and I, I think it was you anyway. So we're on benefit number seven, which is this. If we can put up the first slide. Again? Okay. It's right there on the desktop. It'll say New Covenant Benefits. Number seven. Woo-hoo. It says, here's the benefit. And this is, it's really, really important. Most of the time this gets taught at Christmas, but gets taught in a strange way, usually with the incarnation and everything. But it's really this. God is with you. And here's the thing about the new covenant. He's with you all the time. The reason I want to stress that, and you can, you can, we'll have this up with the teachings. I'll put this on the website also so you can get all the scriptures. But if you want to write them down, and we're going to look at some of them specifically. 
in our pursuit of God, many of us have been taught in how to pursue God. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's always made God seem far away. It's always made God seem someplace else. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? It's made God seem like, okay, I'm here and God's someplace far away in heaven. And if I do the right things and I do it the right way, I will transverse that gulf and I will be able to draw near to him because we're instructed to draw near to God. Yes, but there's something in the human mind that says he's someplace else and I have to go get there. Or even this, I have to go to church in order to engage with God. And so I, and then maybe I need to be with other people. The reality is this, God dwells in you. You are God's dwelling place. He is with you. He's not only with you, but what that means, he's in you. He's in you. And that's, when this becomes a reality, listen, it changes everything. I don't have to go someplace to be with God. I am with God. And he is with me. Well, how is that a benefit? Well, we're going to explore it more. We, we really do. Here, here's the theological term that goes with it. You have co-union with Christ. Now, the way that gets written is this. Throughout the New Covenant, throughout the New Testament, you will find the phrase, in Christ. What that means is, and Jesus prophesied it before he went to the cross. He said, what I'm going to do and what I'm going to accomplish is going to release the Holy Spirit. And then he said of believers, he said, I'm telling you something. I will be in you just as the Father is in me and I am in the Father, so I will be in you. Stunning. This is the most stunning thing that could have ever happened. And it's a benefit to us. But the benefit, if you ignore it, guess what? If you don't pay attention to who's there, how many of you grew up with absentee fathers? You have to have that testimony. How much fun is it to be in a room with somebody that doesn't say anything, talk to you, or pay any attention to you? Do you feel like you're with them? No. They're a tree stuck in my living room that I can't seem to get around. uh. The other promise with this is when God joins himself, he doesn't leave. See, that's another thing that we've been taught. Well, uh... God's with me except when I'm sinning. Really? Think through that. Uh, he in and out, in and out, in and out. Look, this is not in and out burger land. Is there any of you that are from the West Coast? God's with you all the time. Highest high, lowest low. Ooh. We don't like the sound of it. That's why we don't like... We have trouble engaging on this. Go to the next slide. Ooh. 
That's a lot. I'm going to read it to you. We'll start in verse 2. It's Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the same Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You can go to the next slide. You see, what most of us have been taught is this passage of scripture is strictly about behavior. That about being in the flesh means when you're doing little wrong things that you know aren't right and you know you shouldn't do them. But then when you do them, uh, you're not really walking in the spirit. Do you know there's no indication that that's what this is actually talking about? As a matter of fact, it's talking about identity, actually. Because he says this, look, if the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you are no longer in the flesh. You've been converted to be spiritually minded. You tracking with me? Now, can we use it about behavioral teaching, you know, to change our behavior? Yes, but the primary context of what this is talking about is your identity. It's about you became, you converted from being a flesh-bound person to now being a spirit that's alive. Because Christ is in you. So he says this, God dwells in you, and I did that, the, the term being in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This, this thing that we call our bodies, and it's not really even our bodies that, that is, your being is the temple of God. Why is this so important? Why do you stress this? Because we've been taught that God is far away. That I will go someplace, I have to go somewhere to draw near to engage with God. Guess what? When you receive Christ, you're engaged. When that becomes a basis of reality for your life in God... You live according to the Spirit. 
you gain life because of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In Acts it says this, For in him we live, move. He's, then he goes on because he, he, he's, he's speaking to actually Greek people. And he says, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. God is dwelling in you. And it's been a, it's been a strange thing of which we've actually flipped these. And we've made... The emphasis for our relationship to God based on our behavior instead of our behavior being based on our relationship to God. We have been taught a strange flip, a strange equation of dealing with life. And we're unlearning that here. Go to the next slide. These slides are a little squirrely too, aren't they? So it's a process of unlearning, learning and relearning. So... This benefit is actually a reality of life that flies against traditions. This is what I found that it did in my life. It started breaking stuff up. Behavioral modification and religion. This is it. Your behavior is not the basis of God dwelling in you. Do you understand that? It doesn't move and change. God is the constant. So what happens is God dwelling in you is the basis for your behavior. That's why when you mess up, when your behavior is often wrong, you feel guilty. Now, guilt and condemnation aren't exactly the same thing. You feel, you know, you go, wait a minute. And you start being able to engage with the one who lives in you. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't appear right. And and you start noticing things and you go, wait a minute, I'm just being grouchy just for the point of being grouchy. So, by the way, there's a way to take over authority on that. You know what you do? Stop it. You ever seen the old Bob Newhart, the 10-minute thing on his little routine from back in the day when he was a psychologist and the woman comes in with all of her problems he says oh I can take care of that she goes okay what he says stop it I'm afraid of everything stop it we, we've been given authority and, but when we violate that identity of Christ in me dwelling in me changes everything So there's a lot of process of unlearning of how we actually deal with our best times and our worst. You can relearn this stuff. Go to the next slide. Because here's the promise. If that spirit of God dwells in you, he won't leave. What do you base that on? Bold scriptures. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Six, no, it's 1 Corinthians 6.16. I will dwell. And the word dwell there means permanent dwelling. Remember when he said the temple was a temporary dwelling? He talked about it being the temporary place. Okay, David, I'll let you make this temporary place for me. 
that word actually is a permanence. It means I'm going to set up my home, my place of residence. Now, is God in heaven? Yes. And God is in you? Yes. How can he do that? He's God. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And it's personal possessive pronouns. Going, they are mine. Then he said, we know this one well. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will. What does never mean? Actually, the word there means impossibility of being gone. I will never leave you. He would have to deny himself to leave you. And he says he won't deny himself. He remains faithful even when you lose faith. Even when you're ready to quit, he doesn't quit. That's why we say, well, he's with me on my worst day. Listen, I I hope you never have a worse day. I have some of them, then I've heard other people's worst day, and I go, oh, not so bad, shut up. You know, I get to hear a lot of worse days, you guys. That's part of the joy of ministry, but walking people through their worst days. And this is what what I look at him and tell him now, he's right there with you. He won't leave you. Sometimes he's quiet, but he ain't going to leave because he made his dwelling place with you. Go to the next slide. Because of this, this is really what the benefit means of God with you. He is your friend. You have friendship with God. Now, well, yeah, but what about him being like he's the king and I'm the serf? Yes, he is the king. You do have that king, you know, subject relationship with him. But that's only one aspect of it. You also have a master-servant relationship with God. You also have this, father-child relationship with God. We also, it indicates this in the word, we have a husband Bride, relate which that that one's like real hard. I don't know about most guys, like hard for me to get there. I can't picture Lloyd in a wedding dress. <laughs> just ain't going to happen. I don't care about any rulings. You just, I'm not going there. You know, it's just I'm not. You know, I, I it's just not who I am. It's not how I'm wired. So that one's always been really hard for me. Nevertheless, it's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. So's this one. And this one is actually the benefit of the new covenant. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, this is what he commanded you, that you love one another. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all things i heard from my father i made known to you 
Now, here's what we know. Here is the new benefit, the new covenant benefit of this word. Fellowship. You will not find that word translated any place in the old covenant. It doesn't happen. The closest one that happens to it is actually prior to the law under the Abrahamic covenant where Abraham believed God It was accounted to him for righteousness, and other people called him the friend of God. So there's there's this indication of, wait, this means you, you and I, God, the one who dwells in you, dwells there because he's your best friend. Talk about a bestie. He is the friend that won't ever leave this is a friend that won't forsake you won't turn his back on you won't abandon you and the word that we use there is this funny we just we name our churches this we talk about oh let's have fellowship with one another so it's some you know party this was the word fellowship go to the next slide we get all we've all been taught this stuff how many of you have heard the word koinonia Churches have been named Koinonia. You know, we go, hey, let's go have Koinonia. And everybody else who's not a believer who hears you is going, what are they talking about? I have no idea what that word is. It's a Greek word that gets translated in your New Testament, fellowship. Fellowship. In the same boat close. It's a word that means companion, partaker, partner, infers to communicate on an intimate level. As a matter of fact, the very word we, we don't like to, it has a strange connotation. It has only a sexual one today, but it's actually the word could be translated intercourse. It means to communicate on an intimate level. That's why we borrowed that word and, and turned it towards the carnal knowledge part. It's also related to the idea of communion and where we get our word community. It all comes from this Greek word koinonia because it was a word that was only used of followers of Christ. That's why when Paul blesses and he said, oh, that you would know the fellowship of the Spirit, what he's talking about is that deep friendship with God. It's a co-union that's, that's inseparable. It's a co-union. It's a reality. It's co-union. It's designed for you to have deep friendship. And it does this. I, th- I think of all the things in human life, and it's one of the reasons I so value my, my, you know, years of marriage and everything is that is a type of it. When you're with someone else, it drives away loneliness. Loneliness is horrible. To be alone is wonderful. I love being alone. Now I'm wired that way. You know, I, I, abs- I, matter of fact, if I don't have it, I go the other way with behavior and I get a little grouchy, get a little out of sorts. Um, 
imagine this. I have a thing that's called getting peopled out. Because of the function, that I, the, the role that I have. So I have to draw away. By the way, Jesus did this too. He drew away to be by himself. But that's different than loneliness. You can be in a crowd and have loneliness. And it becomes a deep heartache. This is the benefit for believers. You don't ever have to have that. But if you don't engage the benefit, it won't deal with that which you have. That which you're feeling. So this is the only way I pastorally know to help people who feel lonely. Oh, hang out with your best friend. But see, we haven't really been taught. So we've been taught a, everything from, I don't know how you guys were taught, but methods of praying, you know, positions. You should be on your knees. You should be on your face. You should be, you know, it's this and that. We don't understand. I ne- can never understand how Paul would go, oh, I pray always. And that word's means all the time. I'm going, what? Yeah. Sure. All the time, Paul? Really? It's because he was in fellowship. He He was continually aware. He was engaging God on a friendship level, on a deep, this is my best friend. Now sometimes, best friends can sit together and be silent. But most of the time, they are gauged in deep, deep conversation. Think about your best friend. And what you really enjoy with that person is communication. What you share. I want to share my life with you. God's going, oh, do that. Share your life with me. I have shared mine with you. That's why I dwell in you. Let me tell you more. I wish I had more wisdom. Go to your best friend and ask him. Isn't that what the word says? Let he who lacks wisdom ask. Ask him. Go to the next slide. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you are enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm to you the, and that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the... Here's where God becomes faithful. He calls you into deep, deep, personal friendship with him. How much would your life change if you started engaging God at that level? If you never have. I think in many ways we're a little bit afraid of this. I have been in the past. Most of it had to do with identity issues. I could understand how God would pity and love me because of that pity. Like, oh boy, somebody's got to help that kid. Do you ever feel like that's how I understood that God loved me? <laughs> Nobody else is going <laughs> to. You know, you do all that bad self-talk. You know, I'm the guy in the Snickers commercial that the angel goes, yeah, you're a winner. You know, it, it's, I, that's how... 
when in reality, God desires deep, meaningful intimacy with you as his friend. More than singing the worship God, you know, I am the friend of God. I, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is the one who walks with you. It's the only way you can handle life, really. I, this is what unbelievers deeply lack. They have a knowledge of God. They don't know his friendship. You do. I want to know it more. Tell him. And then do a very dangerous prayer. Ask him to invade your thoughts with it. Ask him for the grace to engage him on a level of friendship. See, we have a weird feeling. You know, even even with like the recent rulings and stuff that have come down. Listen, grace doesn't compromise. It empowers you understand that? When you ask God in that friendship, I want to be empowered to know you as friend. Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I've, I've checked your record. It's really not very good. You're not up to that standard yet. If you said that, if you go, God, I want to know you better, guess what's going to happen? Uh, you know, you better hang on to your seat because he's going to show you. Do you pray dangerous prayers? Oh, I want to know how much you care. It will happen, other people won't. He is personal possessive. He wants that care part. You ever felt like nobody else could understand you, so why talk? Well, you and I. (laughs) That's okay. You and I are petunians and the rest of them are onion patch. You know, it's just like, why am I even talking? Nobody gets me. Here's the thing. God gets you. God gets you at a deep intimacy level, and he wants that part of you. And people that keep trying to get it from other people, I hate to, you know, it's like, it's like the princess bride. Prepare to be disappointed. You know, the sword fighter guy, that you know. You know, or, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you seven ways. Prepare to be disappointed. You know, it's just like if you're looking for that from someplace outside of God, prepare to be disappointed. If that's why you got married, you're gonna struggle with disappointments over your marriage. Only God can fulfill the role of God. Only God's fellowship can be true koinonia. That's why he said, we have this fellowship in the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're communing with the triune God who is in koinonia with himself. And he invites you to become the fourth guy to the party. Invites you, goes, no, know me this way. When you know him that way, it changes how you know each other. Because you become secure. It changes your friendship attitude. Okay, one more slide and then we'll get out of here. Maybe two more. This is 1 John 1. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father 
and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That means to make it known. That you also may have koinonia with us. You know why I like you guys? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. No, I didn't say love. I love you guys because God loves you. God loves the whole world. We love everyone. I like you guys because the Holy Spirit's in you. So we have a common bond of fellowship. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that you can be happy little campers. You can have joy in this life. It's really strange, but I know, I know deep believers that are going through traumatic trials, and they're going, this is so weird. I'm broken and joyful at the same time. You know what that tells me? Oh, they have friendship with God. I'm deeply hurting, but I'm also okay. That takes fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's why when the world doesn't have it, they go to Vicodin. What else would, what would you do? I would. They go to these other things. You don't have to go to other things. He dwells in you. I don't need other things. I have God. Well, that's a band-aid answer. Get over it, Lloyd. That's what's like, how does that work? I'm telling you it works. It's real. Hey, Mikey, I tried it. It's the best cereal ever you'll ever have. It is incredible. When I never, uh, he likes me. I thought only Brenda could really do that. He likes me. He likes you. He likes you. You keep trying to change your hair. He liked it in the original. We keep trying to change the package. He likes you the way you are. This is a stunning thing about his friendship. He finds you completely compatible because of what he did. You can't do anything to make yourself compatible. He did. What was incompatible, or he said, that which was unholy I now call, I will dwell in you. Opinion. It changes everything. God's with me. He's my friend. Okay, go to the next one, which is the last one. These are questions. Just as this engages you, engages your small. Get with other people when you when you gather together in small groups and stuff. These are questions. How has God shown His friendship to you? It's really strange, but when you talk, start talking about God's friendship you start having friendship with other believers. When you start telling them how God has engaged you, try this. Journal it to yourself. Remember the best time? Remember the worst time. Say, how did, how did God show his friendship to me then? When you can't remember it, ask him to help you with your memory. And then just start writing it down going, you're going to have old... Now, we call those things... Secret testimonies. You're re-encouraging your own heart. 
what it, would it look like for you if you started engaging God in a deep friendship? What would your life look like this week? If you just got up in the morning and went, Hi, Jesus. Man, I had a good sleep. What do you want to do today? What are you going to do today? Oh, yeah, you're, uh, wait a minute. You're not just up there. You're in me. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do today? Somebody joked with me this morning, did the pinky and the brain thing. You know, okay, pinky, we're going to take over the world, you know. It's, uh, what traditional views of relationship to God do you think you need to re-explore? What traditions do you have inside of you that need to get the boot? Maybe it's a dependence on other people. Maybe you've lived a lot of life in codependency of trying to find friendship in others before you had friendship with God. I'm telling you, it's one that wrecks people's lives because you're always dissatisfied because this is what I know. Every person I've ever met is weak, broken. Now, they've got strengths. I've got towering strengths and glaring weaknesses. You know, one I've shared with you before. One of my towering strengths that helps me be a pastor is I'm a sensitive man. One of my glaring weaknesses that really tears at my soul is I'm a sensitive man. It does this, but here's what I know. God's never been insensitive to me. God never ignored me. There was sometimes I wondered why he wasn't answering me the way I wanted, but he never ignored me. Because God often speaks loudest by his silence. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And he doesn't say anything. He's pretty soon, stop asking. But when I learned, listen, this took a lot of years and a lot of work of God in my life. I stand before you more secure about who I am than I ever have in my entire life. I am a secure person in my identity because I'm the friend of God. I want your friendship, but I don't need your friendship. I like your friendship. I want to engage with you and I see God in you and I enjoy God in you but I also enjoy God alone with me and I'm I am so secure and I, and I didn't used to be Brenda will tell you self-confidence that was my, one of my weak points you know what drove that away? God confidence he likes me Would you put your hand on your heart Michael, come on up and give us a wee tune. It says we believe, therefore we speak. So I'm going to say the words and you repeat them after me. Jesus, I am so thankful that you like me, that you find me delightful, that you like my personality. 
You like my quirkiness? You like who I am? All because of you joined yourself to me. You will care for me. You will care after me. You will care with me all the days of my entire life. That means all eternity. So I receive you again as my best friend. Would you remind me tomorrow morning and the day after and the day after and the day after that I'm your best friend? Don't let me escape this, but keep me firmly in the understanding that you're my friend. In Jesus' name, amen.